Don't put off another year as Southeast Asia is changing, and this show will get your blood pumping to visit this diverse and historic area. Enjoy the show. my other co-host jerry four uh, how you doing today jerry fantastic oh great and i really am excited to having dan crandall of adventures within reach be our guest because we're going to talk about a very fascinating part of the world southeast asia and welcome dan we're glad to have you oh thanks guys yeah thanks guys for having me on i'm uh, so psyched to talk about southeast asia it's uh, near and dear to me yeah, yeah, real good to hear from you, Dan, again, and look forward to the talking about Southeast Asia. Yeah. So, first of all, can we sort of define what Southeast Asia is? Yeah, absolutely. You know, basically, I look at it as the the core Southeast Asia is going to be Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Myanmar. Those are the five tight countries. You can extrapolate that further, I guess, if you wanted to, to Indonesia, Malaysia, but we'll talk about the first five and uh, kind of uh, narrow in on those countries. All right. And is there an ideal time, if you had the time and you wanted to do that area, what time of year would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, if you can... It's it's interesting because there's different pockets within these countries that you could argue that it's a year-round destination, but clearly the best overall time is going to be November through February, and the reason why is because that's going to be the dry season, and it's also the cooler season, so you get the best of both worlds uh, in general. Now, there's some places like North Vietnam, uh, you know, it's going to be cold <laughs> you know, in <I> December. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's gonna. You know, they actually get snow every now and then uh, wow. in the mountains there. So uh, during that time, you know, in, in, in North Vietnam, maybe you want to go in March uh, or April. It'll still be a little bit chilly, but you'll get to enjoy spring. Uh, and the main thing is go during the dry season if you can. Well, I and, and just to review, the, the dry season really is kind of October-ish through May-ish. The only problem with going in, you know, say April and May, is that you start to see this rise in temperatures, and for many Americans, it gets uncomfortably hot. And also, along the coast, you get a rising um, level of humidity. Yeah. Just before yeah. the rainy season. I mean, it can be awful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Don't even bother with a raincoat because you'll be wet all the time. That's the bottom line. Yeah, you'll be wet from your sweat, or you'll be wet from the rain. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, let's begin. Why don't we start with uh, Myanmar? We'll just go from left to right. Tell us yeah, about you know, Myanmar and who should mm-hmm. go, etc. Well, I think Myanmar is kind of one of the special destinations right now. It's almost like the Cuba of Asia. Um, it's a hot destination. And the reason why is because, of course, they were under an oppressive dictatorship for many years. And it's only been since maybe 2011 that the country's opened up. And with that opening, tourists are starting to come back, and they've come back in droves. Um, The country's rapidly transforming, like Cuba, and so that is a country that I think everyone should target first, if you can, just because it is about to change dramatically. Um, Myanmar is special for all kinds of reasons, uh, but the the main reasons to go there are because of the ruins of Bagan. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site with... Uh, unbelievable archaeological remains. There's something like 2,500 Buddhist shrines uh, throughout this vast area. So people go there to check out the temples. And, you know, this still is an area of active uh, pilgrimage. So you go there and you meet the monks who are doing their offerings, and you really get a sense of, uh, uh, of a different world when you go to Bagan, not just, uh, not just for us in your contemporary life, but also in the past, because this, all these shrines were made back in the 12th century. Um, then another place to go is Inlay Lake. 
in the lake is famous for the foot rowing fishermen. Uh, so you cruise around by boat, you check out the fishermen as they're putting up their nets. And also there's an amazing, colorful, small market selling fish and flowers and fresh vegetables, all that kind of stuff. It's a way to mingle and observe uh, the locals uh, in their daily lives. And then on top of that, there's little ruins you can check out along the lake, and uh, including little caves you can go hiking to and actually see active pilgrimage sites, you know, little ladies marching up these uh, incredible hills that most Americans wouldn't, even even a 20-year-old wouldn't want to go up. Here you see these 70-year-old women marching their way up there just to light a candle or a stick of incense. It's just kind of a breathtaking, uh, you know, perspective on life. Yeah. What about uh, Mandalay? Do you recommend people going to Mandalay? Yeah, if time allows, definitely. I would say Yangon is a little bit more important to visit, and that's the more convenient in and out if you're flying into Myanmar. Uh, Yangon, of course, used to be called Rangoon when it was under British imperial uh, rule. Uh, and Rangoon is special because it has some of those really cool colonial-style buildings that the British made in the 18th, 1800s. And so you get to check those out, but they also have a number of really important pagodas, including uh, Shwedagon Pagoda, which is probably the uh, most important single shrine for Buddhists in Myanmar. So Yangon is probably a little bit more important to visit, but Mandalay does have the Arawadi River, and you can take a cruise on that river, see you know regular life as it uh, happens on the river, as well as some shrines along the way. And uh, Mandalay also has some nice viewpoints to kind of uh, see uh, life unfold in a pretty busy town, actually. Mandalay is probably the commercial center of Myanmar. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And if that out okay, okay, Chris? All right. All right. Do you recommend um, a cruise on the river? And if so, how long would you recommend it? Yeah, I would say it depends on the time you have. If you're a backpacker, do a full do a full length cruise. <laughs> but okay. most people don't have that kind of time, and a half day will really hit the highlights. And again, you know, going to Mandalay, you do get to cruise on that river, see some of the highlights, and it is only a half day journey. So, Myanmar is one of those countries that you can kind of bang out in about eight nine days and really get a great sense for the country and the people. Yeah, as an American, do you have to have a visa to go th to go there? Yeah, they make it super easy. There's a special online visa you can apply for, and uh, it just can't get any easier. It takes three business days to get it back. Oh, nice. So it's one of those things that you know you kind of look at and you say, "It's Myanmar is one of those countries that if you can't necessarily plan ahead, um, you know, just go uh, if you can if you find an opening because it's easy to get that visa." Nice. How long would you recommend and what cities as a minimum visit for the first-time visitor? Oh, yeah, for sure. Eight, eight or nine days, and, and really uh, internal flights make it very easy uh, for international travelers to kind of see the highlights in, in that shorter time. And what you want to do is start in Yangon, then go to Mandalay, visit the god, wrap up an inlay lake, and then come back to Yangon. And you can do all that in nine days uh, and really see the highlights. All right, so now let's go to Thailand. What do you recommend yes. uh, they do in Thailand? In Thailand, you know, obviously Thailand is this really interesting country because it's been a tourist hotspot for so many years. So of all the countries in Southeast Asia, it definitely has the most built-up tourist infrastructure. Because of that, you know, you get a lot of tourists from a lot of different countries looking for a lot of different things. Most people are packaged tourists from places like Russia looking for a beach getaway. Now, the next, probably the next big uh, group is the backpackers. You know, people are doing year-long trips. They come to Thailand because it's so cheap and the food is so good. So they often will be mired there for two, three months because there's <laughs> plenty to do. The, the food is cheap and the lodging is cheap. But then, uh, but then, for travelers who are probably listening in on your show, they're probably looking for more like a you know a, a one or two week trip of the highlights. And for those folks, you know, seeing Bangkok for a few days, going up to Chiang Mai for a few days, then also visiting a beach, one of the islands, for example, uh, or Phuket, um, that would be just a real nice trip, and it could be done in about nine days. Already, um, I have been there many times. And my favorite island is uh, Koh Samui. I yeah. really like Koh Samui. I, it's 
not as touristy. It's getting worse every year. But they have great beaches, and it's a neat place, right? Elephants and everything. So it's a miniature, <laughs> a miniature Thailand right there in the little island. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like yeah, going for like three or four days. Yeah, Koh Samui is an awesome place to go. It's hard to argue with it. And you can still find beaches that are relatively uh, pristine. Um, but I would say if you're looking for like a uh, island that's a little off the beaten path, you can look for a place that uh, is spelled K-O-H-Y-A-O-Y-A-I, Gaoyoyai. Right. And Gao Yai is actually, there's two islands of that chain. There's also Gao Yao Nai. And those two islands um, are uh, really off the beaten path in the sense that they don't have, like, cars on the island. Uh, they, you know, there's no roads, really. So you just take a boat from Phuket. You reach it uh, by, you know, speedboat from one of the resorts. You know, maybe it's a 45-minute boat ride. You get to your resort and you can just unplug for three, four days, and uh, it's relatively quiet. And you know you've got the the hills full of palm trees behind you. You've got these broad white sand beaches. You've excellent snorkeling, um, and there's a national park right there, a marine park you can go and do snorkeling. Mm. That sounds really nice. <laughs> nice spot. Yeah. I know. What do you think yeah. of uh, Chiang, Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai? Should they include? Yeah, those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any trip to Thailand, you have to visit Chiang Mai. Um, I think it's just an amazing town because it's totally the opposite of Bangkok. Bangkok is this bustling, uh, maddening city. It almost approaches India levels at times with all the people trying to get you to, to buy stuff. Oh, oh, it's horrible. It's just yeah. yeah, it's horrible. And so, you know, really, Bangkok, take it or leave it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it does have... It does have some really, you know, it is kind of an important city, you know, so I guess, you know, spend a couple of days there. But then go to Chiang Mai and decompress. You know, Chiang Mai as a whole, in the broader, like, kind of metropolitan areas, maybe a million people, but the city itself only has about 200,000. So it's a relatively small city that has tons of temples. So, <laughs> excuse me. It has this like really kind of uh, laid back nature. There's some universities there, a lot of students, a lot of art, a lot of music, uh, and then you've got the temples. And it's also a gateway to some of the great adventures, like the elephant park uh, at Patara, where you can go spend a day and you can bathe an elephant and walk with an elephant, ride an elephant, kind of get to know uh, this amazing creature that has been rescued. Uh, they have about 35 orphaned elephants, actually. Uh, that live there and they're cared for because of tourists that come there and they pay their fees to go with the driver uh, of the elephant and that money goes into caring for those uh, for those great animals but well, one thing I really like um, as a side tour out of Bangkok and I think because I'm old and I remember the movie very well when I was mm -hmm. uh, young was the bridge over the river Kwai <laughs> yep. yep and uh, I tell you uh, most people will take it as I guess, a day trip from Bangkok. But I like to go out there and actually stay because I want to ride the train and mm -hmm. walk on the bridge and all that. But it's very, not, I won't say touristy, but uh, older people that are listening might find that interesting. Maybe make it a two-day trip. Yep. And, yep. People do do that. Kachimbura is, is the name of the place. And right. you go up there, see the River Kwai and, you know, the famous bridge. And you can do some hiking in the area. There's some nice rainforest. Um, there's waterfalls. Um, it is a, you know, it is a nice break from Bangkok for sure. You know, Dan, uh, can you, uh, you know, just speak in English? Is, is that kind of hard to, to do when you travel around Thailand, you know, or, or it, it, do, do most people speak English or is it kind of mm. Yeah, it, there's not uh, as much English as maybe you'd like uh, right. or as you might think because, you yeah. know, so many tourists go there. But right. there's enough that you'll get by. Um, oh, okay. And certainly yeah. Thailand, again, is so friendly. Yeah, as tourism. far as tourism infrastructure, yeah. Um, yeah. you just can't beat it as far as any other country in Southeast Asia. Of all the countries, you're going to find more people that speak English there, yeah. more English-friendly uh, services and guides and hotel staff. Um, yeah, it's a good choice for people who aren't ready to go full-on like to Myanmar or Laos. 
uh, they're looking to kind of put their toes in the water. Thailand is a great place to do that. And there's there's really uh, there's plenty of stuff to do. Chiang Rai uh, is another place. It's near Chiang Mai. It's an ancient capital. It used to be the capital of Thailand. You know, Thailand used to be this incredibly huge empire at one time, and right. Chiang Rai was the ancient seat of that. And so it is an interesting place to go. Um, it just depends on how much time you have and you know what other places you're visiting. A lot of our travelers are doing 15-day trips and hitting three countries. Right. Well, you know, in order to do that, you're going to have to cut something out, and Chiang Rai is one of those typical things that we cut out along with Sukhothai. That's another place that would be kind of an interesting spot if you're just going to Thailand only. It's another ancient temple site. Nice. Well, let's go next door to Laos. And um, I know you can, uh, sometimes they have out of like Chiang Mai day trips into uh, yeah. Laos. And um, can you talk about Laos? Because not many people go there. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of surprising, but on the other hand, not. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, everybody just turned down the volume now as I talk about Laos. Um, (laughs) Basically, Laos is not as popular because it doesn't have beaches. That really is the the only reason I can think of, other than the fact that obviously it was a communist country and, you know, tourism hasn't been a priority. Uh, You know, communist countries, you know, agriculture is the thing. So they were just focusing on that for many years. And it's only kind of recently that it's really started to catch on. But, you know, I made a list of, of things that you have to do when you go to Southeast Asia. And you can do all of them except for the beach in Laos. Yeah, you know, and I'll just read them off to you real quick. Yeah, you know, sure. number one, you got to try some street food. No matter where you go, you're going to find some noodle uh, soup stands, and, you know, you've just got to try it. You know, nice. you get to sit with the locals, everybody's slurping together. Nice. It's just kind of a special experience. And people have to remember that noodle soup is eaten all day long. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so anytime you have a chance to, to pop into a street food stall, you know, do it. The other thing is, you know, visit temples. You know, a lot of times I recommend going early in the morning when the monks and other pilgrims are there uh, doing their offerings. There's also less of that coach bus tour crowd there if you go at dawn. Um, So you get the best of both worlds, a more intimate experience, and you get to see the temple actually or the shrine actually used. Um, Another thing that I think is a must-do is get on a bike. Um, Almost everywhere you go, you can find somebody renting a bike. And so even if it's just uh, tooling around Phuket on a bike, you know, do it. Uh, one of my favorite places to do it is uh, in actually in Cambodia, which we'll touch on soon. But going into the countryside and seeing rural life, driving, you know, riding past these beautiful rice fields, um, you know, seeing just kids running around and, and you know, playing in, you know, in the most unlikely places, uh, you know, it's just kind of a magical thing, even if you do it for just a half day. The other thing is to visit markets. Um, I touched on it at Inley Lake. Inley Lake has a number of just beautiful uh, minority uh, uh, village type of markets. And you go there, and that's a great place for people watching. Uh, you can often buy stuff if you're interested in buying little trinkets. But the main thing is to go to real markets where people are living their daily lives, like uh, food markets, and just kind of see how folks live. Um, then I think wandering around town, especially little villages, are important. And then finally, I think getting on a river, uh, getting on a boat, just getting out any river in Southeast Asia because – Folks need to realize that rivers are the lifeblood in Southeast Asia, probably more than any other place other than the Amazon. And it's because the interiors of these countries are incredibly rugged in many places. I mean, you were talking big karst mountains, you know, heavy-duty forests. You know, we've all seen Platoon. Those guys weren't having fun. I mean, even if the Viet Cong wasn't around, they wouldn't be having fun. You know, leeches are falling on you all the time. You know, you're sweating to death. So so rivers allow people... Yeah, rivers allowed people to kind of move up and down, and so you still, to this day, see floating markets, you know. (laughs) So it's just an interesting way to explore Southeast Asia. So you can do all those things in Laos, uh, except the the final one, which is, you know, hit a beach. But when it comes to Laos, I think the important thing is, if you're going to go there, at least hit Luang Prabang, and at least allow three nights there. Uh, Luang Prabang is a very interesting town. It's uh, the polar opposite of Bangkok. It's a town of about 20,000 people. It's almost more like a village than a town. 
Um, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site because it has so many cool little temples and shrines everywhere. Plus, it has this old, like, French colonial architecture here and there in the old shopkeeper district. And then on top of that, you know, you've got all this interesting stuff to go check out on the outskirts of town, like, you know, walking through, you know, terraced rice fields and, you know, visiting waterfalls and doing day hikes and going to temples outside of, uh, uh, of Luang Prabang, visiting caves. Uh, many adventures await people that take the time to visit Luang Prabang. You know, so that's I bring it up because a lot of times people don't have a lot of time when they visit Southeast Asia. But Laos is worthy of inclusion, and in particular, Luang Prabang. That's great. And you know, just you know, continue on Laos. I mean, Jerry, you might have different feelings than me, but I think that the rest of Laos is really great if you if you really have time, and if you've been to Southeast Asia multiple times, you're looking to kind of get off the tourist track, uh, or if you're a backpacker, there's just tons of places to go check out. But a lot of times the tourist infrastructure is lagging. You're not going to find nice right. hotels, you know. And then on top of that, there's some places that just downright really aren't that interesting, like Vientiane. Uh, it's it's okay, you know, uh, it's fine. But, you know, when you've got Luang Prabang right there and you've got Vietnam right next door, there's not a lot of reason to, to hang out in Vientiane. Right. I totally agree with you. The one thing that really amazed me about Laos is that they even have an internal airlines. Uh, yeah. They just inside because most people have never heard of the country. And yeah. if they did, only one or two places. But you can actually fly to three or four places within uh, Cambodia, I mean uh, Laos, which uh, mm -hmm. I found very amazing. But I yep. totally agree. Yep. Um, you know, Vientiane is not, one, maybe two nights at the most, at the most. Yeah, at the most, yeah. Yep. And even now, when I go, I just change planes there. Mm -hmm. Don't even leave the airport if I don't have to. But everybody should yeah, go there's... at least once. Yeah, there's tons of stuff to do there. I mean, there's big lakes to explore. Um, there's, uh, you know, great caves to explore. There's mountains to trek. Um, there's amazing rural villages, which are completely untouched by Western culture even today. Um, and uh, obviously, you've got the Plain of Jars and, you know, different sites well, like that fabulous. that really... Yeah, you know, there's there's little things like that that I think are amazing. But, you know, if you compare it to, like, Bagan, or if you compare it to Angkor Wat, right. you know, Plain of Jars is one of those things that you could skip, you know, unless you just right. have a real passion for, you know, Laos. Right. All right, let's go next door. Let's, well, I can't talk. Let's go next door. To, to um, Well, we, which do you want to do first, Cambodia or Vietnam? Well, I, you know, I love uh, Vietnam. I can't. I can't stop myself. I want to talk about Vietnam. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Vietnam. let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I love Vietnam. It's one of my favorite places because it's such a a, a wacky place to visit. You know, it's 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 got elements of North Korea and it's got elements of France. You know, it's just a strange place that um, has great food. You know, wonderful people. Um, and uh, lots of interesting places to go. So Vietnam, obviously for an American, has a special meaning. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of uh, veterans go there for, you know, different reasons. But as a traveler, I was just uh, really blown away by the, by the places that you can see in Vietnam. It's not... It's not a place that it's uh, easy to characterize um, because it's so diverse. It's kind of like California in some ways um, because it has so much to offer depending on what you want. Um, but at, for starting points, everybody should go to Hanoi. I think Hanoi is the most interesting city in Southeast Asia uh, by a land, landslide. You know, a lot of people want to go to Bangkok. I don't know why. Uh, go to Hanoi. Uh, Hanoi is is like uh, it's everything you'd want. Uh, you know, basically the the real estate there, interestingly enough, is more valuable in the old quarter than what you'll find in Manhattan. Really? You know, that's how cool Hanoi is. Um, so in downtown Hanoi, the old quarter, you'll find really interesting little places like this. This one section called Thirty Six Streets. 
And the 36 streets used to be uh, something where each street was a different guild. And so each street had a different practice. Like one street was like, you know, mending pots. Another one was like selling flowers. Another one would be, you know, selling cups. You know, <laughs> you know another one would be general blacksmiths. Another one would be, uh, you know, selling glassware. So, you know, they still have vestiges of that still today. So you can walk around the old quarter and see these interesting little shops everywhere and uh, and see um, kind of a, a unique side of Southeast Asia where people are just mingling about. They're just completely oblivious to you as a, as a foreigner. They just, they're just such comfortable, comfortable people. They don't even pay second attention to you. You know, it's like the opposite of India. Um, so that's 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 the really interesting interesting thing about Hanoi. They're very cultured people. They're very proud people, and they have a lot of history as evidenced by some of their uh, places to visit, like temp, like the uh, Temple of Literature. That's a, an ancient school from like I think it's the 12th century that somehow survived U.S. bombing. And you go there, and you know even if you can just spend one hour there, uh, you just have this incredible appreciation for uh, Southeast Asian history and uh, what kind of civilization they had long ago. Um, so anyway, just Hanoi is a must. Uh, visit the old quarter, visit the French quarter, um, you know, wander around Hoeing, uh, Kiem Lake. Uh, make sure you get up before dawn and visit the local park, see the locals when they do their calisthenics. They're, they're, they're kind of milling about, you know, chatting sociably, uh, doing their stretching exercises. And that's one of the things about um, Vietnam in particular I loved is that when you go in the morning, you know, people are trying to avoid the heat. They go and they kind of uh, do their stretching. They do their social socializing. It's just different than around here in the United States. You know, in, in Vietnam, people are still connected to one another. And uh, it's just kind of a, a, a softly thrilling sight to see. And it kind of just fills your heart, you know, uh, because you know what all these people have gone through in the last, you know, 100 years. So uh, just, just an incredible uh, scene. And you can do that at like Hoi An on the beach. Go there before dawn as the sun's rising. Watch everybody kind of doing their pre-dawn calisthenics and joking around with each other. And then other people are kind of very serious doing their, you know, doing their different martial arts. Um, really a, a thrilling sight. So, you know, that's easy to do in Hanoi. Uh, the old quarter is a relatively compact area. Book any hotel and you can wander around and you won't be disappointed. Well, we um, and then, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say from Hanoi, then the other two places oh, no, in that order. Let's not leave Hanoi yet. Oh, okay. Yet. Yeah, let's uh, not. No, well, I'm 72, and uh, a very famous thing in Hanoi for us who are live and active uh, during the Vietnam War is the Hanoi Hilton. And yeah. I'm not talking about yeah. the hotel, we're talking about that prison, torture yep. place. And That's uh, right. the tour there. Uh, older Americans will really find that historically interesting. But we can't yeah, and leave. The, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, the military museum would be a must-see, too, I oh, think, yeah. for a lot of Americans. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, right. They're very proud about their downed B-52s. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the uh, North Korea similarity comes in, too. Because in North yeah, Korea, absolutely. they the Pueblo, city right there to the fabulous museum. Yeah, and the other the other similarity really is the the mausoleum for Ho Chi Minh. That's a that's a trip to see too. Right. Well, we can't leave Hanoi without talking about trying to cross the street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe you, you can tell us more about that. <laughs> well, um, the I mean, I don't know. I won't call it the highlight for me, but I actually learned how to cross the street downtown Hanoi. They must have tens of thousands of motor scooters. Yeah. Tens of thousands. Well, actually, they have more than that. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you just won't ever, they don't have lights or anything, and you would never, you just stand there for life. But, you know, I learned how to cross the street. All you do is you just start walking, and you put yep. out your right hand if you're going one way, and if you're going another way, you put out your left hand, and you just sort of just hold it out, and you keep walking. And, the, and you know you're going to be killed by 25 <laughs> motor scooters and a couple of buses. And stuff. But you know what? They dodge you. They go around you. And you can walk right across in front of this massive amount of traffic. And when I accomplished that my first time, I said, wow, 
So yeah. Are we going to talk yeah, about how long it Well, I was going to say that to outsiders, that kind of, it, it almost looks like urban warfare, what these people are practicing, but then yeah. for them, it's just everyday life. You know, know. Somehow people with bikes get along with the guys on motorbikes, the guys on motorbikes get along with the guys driving the semis. Yeah. It's it's pretty impressive how they all, it all manages, yeah, how it all works. Yeah. Are we going to yeah. talk about so, Halong Bay? Yeah, yeah, it's a must-see. And, and usually, you know, our travelers just do one night there, but you can do two nights and do a three-day three, three day cruise. Um, Halong Bay is this incredible environment with 1,600 limestone karsts, which are basically spikes of rock emerging from the ocean. So uh, it's uh, just something out of like a like a movie, you know. Uh, what's that? Um, I'm trying to think of that sci-fi movie with the purple, bluish alien guys. Um, Avatar, yes, Avatar. It's kind of like something out of Avatar. It's this otherworldly environment with uh, with all these islands spiking from the sea, and within that uh, within that um, uh, within this bay that it's mm -hmm. part of the Gulf of Tonkin, you take a boat and you cruise around. The boat is your hotel. It's just like a little cruise ship. And from there, you're going to go check out uh, caves. You'll check out snorkel, uh, not snorkeling sites, but fishing sites. You can go and uh, go fishing. You can go um, uh, swimming and all that stuff. You know, go kayaking. You're basically in a, in a playground, uh, in an ocean playground. And on top of that, there's little villages here and there you know, fishing places that you can check out. But the main reason to go there is just the breathtaking scenery. The reason to do two nights, I think, is that if you go one night and there's bad weather and you miss a sunset, um, right. you know, you get a second night to maybe see that sunset. Uh, but, you know, people have to remember there's also the sunrise. So you'll want to get up and see the sunrise if you miss a sunset especially and uh, just see that glorious color as it, you know, uh, you know uh, as, it, uh, as the sun rises in the sky. It's, it's really one of the more uh, beautiful places in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. I totally um, agree. Yeah, yeah, it's it's special, and it's you know it's kind of an effort to get there. It's about a four and a half hour drive from Hanoi, uh, each way, so it is some commitment uh, from Hanoi. But you know how a lot of our travelers do is they arrive in Hanoi overnight. Uh, you know, if you get there on a weekend, you can hit the uh, night market in Hanoi, and I highly recommend that. And that's I think Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights, and uh, you know enjoy the market. And then next day, you know, see the see the highlights of Hanoi, and uh, and then the third day, you know, you take that that uh, that van to to Halong Bay, mm -hmm. enjoy Halong Bay. Day four return, you'll get back sometime in the afternoon. That's a good time to to spend more time in the old quarter and also take in a water puppet show. Uh, oh, there's don't actually you love two it? places now. Yeah, I did. Um, some people complain about it, but there's now a second uh, place you can do that, and so really? it's uh, it's really yeah. I think it's uh, a really interesting uh, art form. Oh, uh, so, you know, so that's something I I really recommend people do is is take in an evening uh, uh, water puppet show, and then you know hit some more street food maybe oh, well, that then, night then, then overnight. Stay, then stay on the water puppet. I was so impressed, yeah. and I've seen it several times that. I have in my office an actual real water puppet. I paid more money than I should have, but I wanted a real one that had been in an actual show, and I went down there and I bought it. And uh, yeah, I really am intrigued by it because I don't know how they do it. I mean, I've heard how they do it, but it doesn't look like it should work, does it? No, it doesn't. And the other weird thing is that they launch all these fireworks, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, I'm inside this like wooden building. I don't know if this is a great idea. <laughs> I know it. But man, there's there's more explosions than in Syria right now. You know, know. it's it's really impressive. <laughs> so you know, basically from uh, from there, then a lot of our travelers go south. But if people uh, don't want to do a lot of flying, you know, a lot of times when you go to Southeast Asia to get from point A to point B, you're doing the flying thing. Mm -hmm. Right. But there is a way to see a good slice of Southeast Asia without doing that, and that's by taking the train or take, taking a van to uh, to Sapa, which is a region in northern Vietnam, which is uh, famously uh, known for their minority tribes, like the Hmong people. 
Um, and these are, you know, really rugged mountains. In fact, there's a, a really tall mountain. It's over 10,000 feet. Uh, and that's the, that's one of the places where it snows in, in December occasionally. But uh, in that area, you've got these incredibly uh, terraced fields. In fact, there's some, some uh, hillsides that have up to 100 terraces built wow. in the sides of these mountains. So... It's it's a pretty incredible um, sign of you know ingenuity, and uh, and uh, human architecture on the land. Uh, but in, in addition to that, of course, they've got great Sunday markets in a couple of places. Then on top of that, of course, you've got uh, you know just just wandering around the mountains and doing some day hikes. So uh, in in the Sapa area, whether you take an overnight train or you take uh, a four-hour drive. You know, try to get to that area because it is uh, a very special scenic area um, in um, in uh, in Southeast Asia. And then from Hanoi and that area, where would you go? Yeah, I'm from northern Vietnam. The next place I'd I'd recommend hitting up would be Hoi An. Hoi An is uh, spelled uh, H-O-I, and then there's a space, and it's A-N, Hoi An. Hoi An is uh, on the coast, and so it's an you know it's an opportunity to to visit the beach, but more importantly, it's a really interesting town with um, a lot of character. In fact, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and um, you wander around and you can cross over ancient Japanese-inspired bridges from the 15th century. Uh, you can wander around, and especially at night, they have all these little lanterns, these paper lanterns that they illuminate in the evening. And so it's almost like this magical, um, it's like you're inside of a Christmas tree or something like that. It's just, there's bright, brilliant, colored lights everywhere in the evening. There's this gentle river right there. You can sit down, have a glass of wine, watch the young people, you know, kind of mingle and do their thing. And um, so you get this slice of real life, but yet it's this really preserved ancient city with a lot of um, uh, character to it. And that is, uh, like I said, really close to the beach. It's about a 10-minute bike ride to the beach. And from there? And from there, a lot of people will go to uh, Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon. Uh, I think that is almost similar to Bangkok in, in being uh, disposable. Uh, but the interesting thing about Saigon is then you can go to inter more interesting places like the Coochie Tunnels, uh, to Bantre, uh, and to Cantou. And these are places that you can experience floating uh, uh, markets as well as, uh, you know, real southern life. Uh, and the southern people really are different than the northern people. Um, you'll, you'll, you, you know, really, uh, you'll notice that the, the northern people are a little bit more reserved, um, where the, the southern people are more like to the point. Um, they're really very businesslike. Um, so it, it's an interesting, uh, uh, you know, kind of contrast between the two sides of Vietnam. And in between those places, there's some beach areas, like there's Phu Quoc, um, which is an island you can fly to from Hanoi. If you're looking for a nice white sand beach area that still isn't too overdeveloped, you know, fly to Phu Quoc and, um, and check that out. It's uh, worth three nights there. I agree. Um, we can't leave Vietnam without mentioning the snake wine. Are you familiar with the snake wine? I'm not sure, no. Well, let me tell you. Um, I went with a friend of mine the last time I went, and the only reason he went uh, to Vietnam and Cambodia was to buy some snake wine. And I thought it was insane. But what it is, um, they get a cobra, a live cobra, they put it in a bottle, like a, a whiskey bottle or something, but it's clear glass, and they put it in there, and then they poke it, I guess, and they put a scorpion down there. He bites the scorpion, and then they pour the rice wine on it and let it ferment, and it gets rid of all of the um, poison, and they drink it. So he mm. brought uh, home two bottles. I had to carry one because of the uh, restrictions. But yeah, a real cobra curled up. I think we might. I think we might have an explanation for Ozzy Osbourne. He must have traveled to <laughs> Vietnam. I think you're and right. And done this right before he bit the head off that bat. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that sounds you, pretty potent. Um, yeah. Well, on our trip, we bought it there. Um, well, actually, 
uh, a huge selection is as you're going from Hanoi to Halambe, about halfway, you can go to the bathroom there, and eat. Uh, they have a handicraft shop store, huge. I mean, it's massive. And you watch the weavers and the artists and everybody. And back in the back on the right side, they have um, a huge wall display of this a snake wine. And all sizes, they have bottles, I don't know, they're probably 10 gallons, but they massive, like eight foot <laughs> long cobra. And, and uh, so we headed right back there, and my friend bought two bottles, and he forgot to pack it. So we're flying from Hanoi to Sydney, and they confiscated it. I've <sighs> never seen a man get so um, depressed and almost want to cry and almost <laughs> <laughs> totally out of control. Only reason he went on this trip is get, I said, we're coming back to Hanoi. Don't worry about it. So he bought two bottles, and he put them in uh, our suitcases, and off we went. But, yeah, everybody should look at that snake wine. And they actually drink it, and he actually drank some of the samples. <laughs> I oh. But that's one thing. Well, did he develop a tick? Did he, uh, was he okay? Uh, yes. I mean, he said it's absolutely <laughs> delicious. And uh, he made me have one little taste. And I, I was just, I don't drink alcohol. But I had one little taste. You've got to. You're in Vietnam with a snake, one with a cobra. Well, I'm terrified of snakes. So we had a bit of a, I had one little taste and I almost threw it out. Um, <laughs> because of thought. Okay. So that's one thing, if they don't want to go to Vietnam for any other reason, well, get that snake wine. But as you I, say, think, I think the moral I think the moral of your story, Jerry, is that uh, unfortunately rice wine is so bad that people have to develop new drinks in Vietnam. <laughs> I and agree. it happens yeah. to be snake I wine, you it. know. Rice wine's so strong too. God, oh my yeah. God! And it's uh-huh. in, in different areas. It's it's stronger or even right. worse than other areas. I remember stumbling in on this wedding. Um, you know, I was just walking down the street, and this this woman saw me, and she she just got excited, you know, because she was liquored up. <laughs> and it turned out she was the mother of the bride. Oh. And so she was like, "Oh, you've got to come in." And so I had my picture taken with all the bridesmaids. <laughs> Um, of course, my wife saw that, and I got in some trouble, but I had to explain, like, look, it was a drunk drunk old lady that dragged me into this. I don't know. And then here I am doing shots of rice wine with this 90-year-old woman, and oh, it was... Cool. It was yeah. It was the mother's mother who was just like, hey, you know, and, and you know, it's just, it was really amazing. Really amazing. So. But did you want to cover Huey uh, or Danang? You know, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, uh, just real briefly, Da Nang, uh, you can visit Da Nang, which is an uh, interesting town. I think you're going to hear more of it as time goes on. Da Nang, of course, is where the famous China Beach is, you know, where the famous landings uh, for allies happened in the Vietnam War. Um, it's still a beautiful beach, and they have this really cool uh, long walkway, you know, this pedestrian bikeway walkway along much of the beach. And so it's a really nice place. You know, you almost feel like you're in Miami sometimes because the buildings are all brand new. Um, it's actually the third largest city in Vietnam. So if you're looking for that uh, cosmopolitan, urban, young, youthful city, uh, Da Nang would be my recommendation over Saigon uh, because Da Nang still is relatively clean. It's not quite as crazy, and it's got that beautiful beach. Um, anyway, so and it's also the gateway to Hoi An. Uh, Hoi An is only about a 45-minute drive from uh, Da Nang. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you visit Hoi An, you'll automatically uh, visit Da Nang. Um, anyway, uh, and, and as far as Wei goes, uh, I'm not a big fan of Wei. Wei is the uh, kind of the more recent uh, 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 Citadel for the Monarchies prior to uh, kind of their da- downfall in the uh, in you know last century. Uh, it's a place that was heavily destroyed, <laughs> to put it lightly, during the war, and so everything you see almost is a replica of uh, arguably a replica, um, and it's still in the progress of process of being rebuilt. Um, so it's a place that, uh, unless you have an interest in monarchies, uh, you know, um, royalties, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure it's a priority to go see, uh, in my opinion, just because it is so heavily rebuilt. It's just not, 
it doesn't have that uh, you know that uh, that gravitas of places like Angkor Wat. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go there. Let, let's yeah. Go. Oh, let's do this before we leave Vietnam. How long would you stay in Vietnam for your first time yeah. visit, and what would you do? Absolutely, a minimum of eight days, and you'll want to see Hanoi, Halong Bay, Hoi An, and then some place in the south. And usually that means Saigon. And for all the bad things I was saying about Saigon, there are some cool things you can do. One of the favorite activities is actually going out on a night street food tour on the back of a Vespa. Right. So you go with this guide who actually knows how to you know, navigate these crazy streets. You get a sense of what locals, you know, how they get around, and then you sample the best street food you ever have. And you do it all at night. So it's kind of a fun adventure. You know, you have a few drinks, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, and then um, obviously getting out to the Mekong River, I think, is a really nice uh, option. You know, and that's like Canto and Ben Trey. But anyway, so in like eight or nine days, you know, and if you want to go to Sapa, you know, up until about 12 days. All right. Now let's go to Cambodia. Yeah, and Cambodia is is such an interesting country because they were under such a brutal, a brutal regime. Uh, the guy's name was Pol Pot, as uh, your audience probably knows. Maybe one of the most vicious killers uh, of all time, I think. Um, and when you go to Cambodia and you see these beautiful people, peaceful people, you just kind of wonder how on earth did this happen? Um, but uh, over a million people died during his short reign. I think it was 75 to 79. Um, and I think it still has left its scars on people. So when I when I arrived in Phnom Penh, it was kind of like when I arrived in Romania. You know, you just have this like heavy, heavy vibe um, in in the in the area. So it's. It's it's just it's just a, a unique destination within Southeast Asia, primarily because of that uh, situation, you know. Um, but aside from that, Cambodia is a rich country, especially when it comes to Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat, everyone knows, it's up there with Machu Picchu. It's up there with the pyramids. Let's face it, it's a must-see uh, at some point in your life. Um, you know, most people would say it's the number one most, you know, uh, beautiful Hindu temple complex in the world. And, you know, India has a few of those. Um, so you have to go. And and part of the reason why is because it's such a huge area. They have hundreds of temples and shrines. Uh, they have magnificent stone inscriptions everywhere, beautiful stone sculptures everywhere. You know, you can go in some of the ruined complexes and there's rainforest trees kind of taking over the ruins. So you go to walk around these incredible ancient buildings that are split in half by these giant banto trees, you know. So you're walking around and you're just like, where am I? You know, it's just, this is something out of like the Hobbit, you know, it's just this incredible uh, rainforest region with all kinds of temples. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people get around by car and, and guide, but you can also get a bike and kind of cruise around, you know, a good time to visit the temples is during the middle of the day. That's when most tourists are going out for lunch. It's a good time to go to the ruins. The only problem is that that's the hottest time of the day. Um, so, uh, <laughs> plan accordingly, um, plan accordingly, but most people, their number one thing is to see the sunrise at the main anchor, uh, temple. And, right. uh, you know, you kind of get situated behind that little pond, uh, right. left of the temple and watch the sunrise. And it's a, a great photograph, but, uh, the main thing is get out, walk around some of the ruins and, uh, really get a sense for this, this ancient place, which was built around the 12th century as well. So similar to Bagan in some ways. Well, my wife, who has seen many, many ruins from Egypt, Middle East, and Central and South Oh, yeah. America, Petra, you know, yeah. She, yeah. she ranks uh, Angkor Wat as the number one ruin in the world to see. Wow. Because mm. that's my, I mean, we're talking about the pyramids, and she's seen many of those. And uh, her favorite is Angkor Wat. But I do want mm-hmm. to mention that uh, when they get to uh, Angle Wat, that they, uh, you might suggest, and I love it, I've done it four or five, five times, is I take a helicopter and fly over the entire temple complex, which mm-hmm. is, as you mentioned, huge. 
and mm-hmm. it gives you a phenomenal mm-hmm. perspective of what you're getting into when you get down on the ground and start touring. So I think that's a, a wonderful introduction. I recommend it to mm-hmm. all of our clients, and I really enjoy it. And I do it at the first, so I can get an overview of what I'm in mm-hmm. for. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable idea, too. And I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. There's, there's Surprisingly, there's a number of small villages you can check out just outside of Siem Reap. And uh, it's like going back in time to a certain degree because yeah. the people there are just kind of living their lives. You know, obviously they're wearing Western clothes and stuff, but, you know, most the, the most common form of uh, transportation is the bike, you know, right. and you've got ox carts running around. You know, it's just kind of it's kind of funny. You can literally almost ride your bike from downtown Siem Reap to some of these villages. So when people go to Anchor Wat, I can encourage them to spend at least one one day just not going to ruins. And you can do your day however you want, but getting into the countryside, I think, is really a good idea um, at some point in uh, Cambodia, because that's where the, really where the magic happens. Uh, it's a deeply agricultural country, even to this day. So that's how the majority of people spend their lives. And what we like to do is we like to take folks to uh, to, to see a local cook. And so this cook will actually take people to their to the cook's home. So people get to see how people live. Um, you know, they'll meet the cook's family. The family's often involved with the cooking. So, you know, our guests can mingle with, you know, the cook and kind of sample different local foods. And the main local food, obviously, is rice and fish. So you usually will get like a, a little panoply of different local specialties. And so it's a great uh, culinary experience, but also a great way to kind of see regular life. Um, so yeah, Anchor Wat. It, I think it's arguably yeah one of the top places for sure for you know archaeology enthusiasts. I think Bagan in Myanmar easily. Yeah. Uh, I think you could say it's its match. Some people prefer Bagan because right. it's so less touristed. Um, uh, that's something to to be aware of. Again, Myanmar's you know whereas Anchor Wat has been known a known commodity for many years. Bagan is just kind of getting started and now is a good time to visit the gun. So uh, that's another good complex. But Anchor Wat, to me, that was an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, you just can't beat it, really. Just wandering around like Anchor Tom with all those giant heads, you know, that they sculpted uh, out of the rock. It's like you're in like, some kind of Southeast Asia, Easter Island, but it's a temple, you know? And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, and so my my suggestion is find yourself a little, a little spot to rest and find your head, you know, and then just kind of relax and let the tourists come and go but in between really appreciate some of the the majesty of what that place must have been like, you know, a thousand years ago. Alrighty. From um Angawad area, where would you go? You know, in Cam- in Cambodia again it kinda of depends on the traveler, but Phnom Penh is uh, an interesting town. It's in a right now in a in a huge uh build up phase. So when you go to Phnom Penh, expect big clouds of dust, and it's mostly because of the construction. Right. Um, but when you go to Phnom Penh, you can do some pretty interesting things, like go to that uh, school that was converted into a prison uh, by the by the Khmer Rouge during the Pol Pot era. It is one of the most haunting things you'll ever experience in your life. It's horrible. Um, it's oh. horrible. Yep. Oh, I mean, yep. and that yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it really big and huge, and as you go through it, I mean, if they would take the pictures down, it might not be quite so yeah. bad. Oh, but it's wonderful. Everybody has to do it. Yeah, I don't know about wonderful, but it's eye-opening, you know. Uh, you know, when you hear about the stories of, you know, uh, you know, people who actually were converts, they were actually fighters for the Khmer Rouge, the, suddenly their their uh, their loyalty would be questioned, and then they'd be sent to this prison, and they'd be stripped naked, and then they'd be chained to a to a to a steel bed frame. And they'd lie there, and then they'd apply electrical shocks to them through the bed frame. They'd torture them for a month, and then they'd take them out, and they'd just cut their head off. You know, I mean, it's like, really? (laughs) You know, so, you know, you go there, and it's, again, it's just a really heavy experience. Um, And it's not for the faint of heart, but it's a very serious place, and I think it is a worthwhile place to go to get a 
a better understanding of what these poor people had to live through. Uh, and there's other places too, you know, there's the palace grounds you can check out. There's also a nice walkway along the river there, the Mekong River, and there's also a nice little island you can go visit as a day trip. I did that with a guide, and you go on a bike and you check out this island in the middle of the Mekong River, and it's kind of fun. Uh, the people there, um, they know the guide because the guide goes there every day. And so the guy will just walk up to people, whoever's out, whoever is out, out and about milling around. He'll just say, he'll come up and he'll say, hi, how you doing? And, you know, then all of a sudden he'll have this conversation with this completely normal Cambodian, you know. Uh, he might be the policeman. He might be the fireman. He might be a, a monk, you know. And so um, it's a really interesting uh, situation that you can go to such a, a yuppie, a yuppieifying uh, what am I trying to say? A gentrifying place like, you know, uh, Phnom Penh. But then just right across the river, a short ferry ride away, you can go into old school Cambodia where everybody knows their, each other's names. Everybody's got each other's backs and uh, people are living their traditional ways. Um, now, in Cambodia, too, there are other places to check out. Um, oh, you know, there'll probably be another leave, phone call. Before you leave Phnom Penh. What I like to do after I go to that prison, that museum prison with all the torture, I like to go immediately from there to the killing fields. Mm, yeah. Because it's just a double whammo that makes you very depressed for a week. Well, I was going to say, after I go to the prison, I want to go straight to the Foreign Correspondence Club and have a stiff drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's probably the wiser of the two choices. <laughs> yeah, just so you know, just so everybody knows, the Foreign Correspondence Club is still uh, still around. And it's almost like a museum. You can go there and you can. they've got all these uh, different photos from the, uh, during the Revolution period. Uh, during the during the war period, they got all these pictures, you know, where where reporters were stationed basically while they were reporting uh, um, on the on the revolution prior to Pol Pot and after and during. So it's a really kind of a that's a really kind of cool place because you know these correspondents really stuck their neck out uh, to report the truth of what was happening and uh, yeah, and it's a good place to get a stiff drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about the other parts of Cambodia that we were, you were going to. Well, you know, you got Sihanoukville, um, which is a which is a cool beach town, um, and that's uh, within road reach. It's probably about a four-hour uh, drive from Phnom Penh. Uh, then there's other places uh, within Cambodia, other temples you can go visit, and ancient bridges you can walk across. Um, you know, from the 10th century, there's actually quite a bit you can do in Cambodia, uh, including villages, including homestays. You can actually stay in somebody's house, you know, and that's always a neat experience. Um, you know, so Cambodia really is kind of picking up uh, on the, you know, outside of Angkor Wat, it, the tourism infrastructure is really picking up. Uh, but you can still go there and, and kind of get a sense of Cambodia of old. But, you know, you do have to make the effort. Um, and uh, whether or not it's worth that effort, you know, in relation to, gosh, I could be in Myanmar on a boat, uh, you know, maybe on a small boat in Inlay Lake. Uh, you know, paddling through one of these canals uh, and visiting a, a village by kayak. You know, I mean, I mean, that sounds pretty good too. You know, so so that's really the the problem that Cambodia uh, has is that there's so much else to do that it's arguably way cooler than almost anything you can do in Cambodia. Except when you do, when you take the time to do it, then you're always surprised at how great it is. So that's the irony of it all. Most people go to Southeast Asia for the highlights, but it's those little things like just spending a morning in a in a routine market, you know, a routine market town, you know, that, that kind of sticks with you, you know, just seeing the people and, you know, you're wandering around the market and you see like two babies on a table wailing away and nobody seems to be minding them. <laughs> you're like, well, are these for sale? I mean, what's going on here? Two for one? I mean, you know, so I mean, literally, I, I spent like 15 minutes watching these babies wail. Nobody seemed to give them any attention. I was like, wow, this is an interesting, you know, idea for parenting. And, uh, you know, maybe I can take some notes here. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but anyway, you just, you know, you get to see real life and I don't know, it, it's it's so worthwhile. But then there's other things, you know, like, like I said, like sea kayak in, you know, Inlay Lake, you know, that mm. I think a lot of people would love to do more. Right. Well, one thing I want to mention um, is taking the one-week cruise from Sien Reap down to Saigon, mm-hmm. Ho Chi Minh, down the Mekong mm-hmm. River. Um, mm-hmm. I really, having been to both of those countries many times, 
some of my friends all wanted to get together, and we all went. And I really was not looking forward to it because I thought, boring. But let me tell you, that is one of the finest river cruises in the world. It, because <laughs> during the day, they put you on these small yeah. boats, and you go up into the tributaries, as you say, to these little out-of-the-way villages, out-of-the-way mm-hmm. temples, and uh, really is a fantastic trip. <clears throat> so I recommend yeah, I... anybody that has an extra week uh, take that. Um, several yeah. companies offer it and go from uh, uh, Siem Reap down to Saigon or vice versa. But I like going from Siem Reap down river. It's quicker. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. That sounds like a great place, a great way to kind of get off the beaten track, you know? Yeah, because you don't go anywhere that tourists go. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, it's uh, you know, and I was going to say, I was going to bring this up too, you know, to get what to get around why I'm just so enthusiastic about Southeast Asia. I really think that you know, for a lot of Americans, you know, between the ages of 50 to 70, 55 to 75, you know, most Americans have about 20 years to travel. And, you know, given, uh, you know, financial issues or given responsibilities, you know, maybe you can only go on, you know, four or five or six major trips in your lifetime. But my pitch is that I think Southeast Asia is an absolute must to put on that, uh, put on that short list of, you know, your four or five, six major trips of your life and see how folks live there because like i said you, you go there and you just are, it's it's remarkable how connected people still are how fast everything's changing um and all the amazing uh, both natural and archaeological sites the region has to offer um for all those reasons it really is um a must to visit i think well i want to mention one thing before we end um can i know some of my friends neighbors uh, they don't want to go there because mm. of the one word, safety. They say, is it no. safe? They do cover <laughs> safety. And I, I say, well, I've been there, not hundreds, but I've been, I've been to Thailand probably 30 times, and Cambodia and Vietnam at least 15 times, and Myanmar at least 15. So I, I said, well, I'm still here. Can you discuss uh, safety and the concerns people might have about safety? Well, it's a, it's a remarkable concern that your friends have. I, I think Southeast Asia is about as safe of a destination as you're going to find I agree. in the world. I mean, I mean, I don't know how to even begin to answer that because I don't even know where it's coming from. Um, I would say, yeah, avoid, avoid dark streets in Bangkok at 3 a.m. You know, <laughs> I, I'd say don't go there. I, you know, maybe don't visit any brothels in Bangkok, you know, after midnight or something. I, you know, I don't know even know how to really answer that question because the people there are among the most generous and friendly, uh, in the world. And, uh, I've never had even anything close to a problem. Um, so yeah, no, I think, um, that your friends uh, really have to go there and and yeah. see for themselves. Um, but yeah, I would say avoid the big cities if they have any major concerns like that. You know, avoid uh, Bangkok, avoid Saigon. Um, I think Hanoi, they still have to go there. Um, that's excluded. Um, they they need to go there. Right. Um, but go with a guide, um, and the guide will look out for them. You know, they'll help them get across the street safely. All that stuff. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, really a remarkably safe place, honestly. Um, and I, I can't say that enough, you know, um, well, I totally agree so, with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's the just, fact uh, that you and I have both made it back. Says that it's safe. Yeah. We made it back somehow. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the first, yeah, I mean, the, the, the more amazing thing is why didn't we stay? That's really yeah. the question. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's the yeah, head scratcher. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> You know, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it is, it's an interesting place, you know, because, you know, a lot of Americans go there because, you know, what's the gateway drug to Southeast Asia here in America? It's the food. You know, everybody loves to go mm. eat Thai food and Vietnamese food. Yeah. And, That's but awesome. I tell you, going to Southeast Asia, the food is still good. You know, it's funny, you know, people complain about Chinese food in China and they have a, they make a good argument. You know, you come to a Chinese restaurant in America, the food's pretty good. You go to China, it's disgusting. But in, in Southeast Asia, I can tell you right off the bat, you go to Thailand, you go to almost any restaurant, 
even in even a tourist restaurant, and you're yeah, going to have great food. Even on the food. street, even on the street, anywhere. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, literally, it's like they they are born to cook. You know, they they have yeah. Penang curry down by the age of two. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so so you'll love the food, and that's the thing. Like. When, at the very minimum, people should make Southeast Asia a priority visit just for the food and uh, and uh, obviously see some of the temples because Buddhism is one of the major religions and and, and, and and by all means enjoy some of the beaches. But then, you know, if you can sprinkle in some little experiences like kayaking or rock climbing, you know, um, you know, there's a, a place I'm trying to think of it. It's in... Um, it's in uh, Krabi that you can, and also, um, you know, there's a place in Vietnam you can go to just outside of um, Halong Bay. You can literally rock climb up, and and the thing is, you don't need rope because if you fall, you're just going to fall in deep water. So they call it deep water soloing. You know, yeah. you can do that kind of stuff there, and. Um, I don't know. There's all kinds of little things you can sprinkle in depending on your interest, but you know, just go there for the food, some temples, some beaches. You'll have a trip of a lifetime. Well, Dan, we want to thank you very, very much. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for having me out. Wonderful. That was an awesome show. Yeah. A wonderful uh, tour of Southeast Asia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, once again, it was quite the shotgun approach, but yeah, I, 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 yeah. I'm glad we could yeah. touch on him. Yeah. Yes. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they can contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm at Adventures Within Reach, and you can always reach us through our contact page at www.adventureswithinreach.com. Uh, if anyone has any questions, um, even if you're not going to travel with us, um, I'd be happy to, to address any questions you have. And I'm at Dan, D-A-N, at adventureswithinreach.com. Well, thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. You're, you're welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to uh, give a shout-out. Uh, thank you to Stephen Pratt for helping compose the music, the wonderful intro and the ending of the show. And i also like to uh, say thank you to James Steed uh, for helping with the website and audio information. And also Nate Scholes um, about uh, getting us on the right track and helping us on the podcast on Travel Advice Show. Um, so thank you so much, and uh, enjoy all your travels around the world.